Hey guys, Ryan Becker here. I just want to let you know, the interview that you're about to hear is with a good friend of mine, Jerome Maslamoni, and he's out in Texas, and he's in an area where the internet isn't amazing, and so we did this interview over Skype, it actually took us a couple takes, and uh, some of the, I guess, audio quality isn't amazing from his end, uh, there's a couple places where it skips out and kind of jumps around, um, and so bear with us, uh, we're sorry, sometimes technology has its limitations, uh, but I think that the interview overall is uh, great content, uh, something that I was very blessed from and learned from as well, and I hope that you'll take away something from it as well. So enjoy this interview, uh, episode three of The Absurdity. Uh, it's called In Absurd Apathy. Hey guys, welcome back to The Absurdity. I'm your host, Ryan Becker. Today's episode is In Absurd Apathy, and I have with me my first guest. He's a good friend of mine, Jerome Maslamoni. Uh, we went to Southern together and took several classes. We even took a mission trip to Brazil together, which was its own its own monster that we that we tackled with the Lord's help. And it was it was a great trip, but it was a hard trip for sure. Uh, and Jerome, just before we go any further, why don't you tell us a bit about who you are and what you do? All right, um, I am a recent graduate of Southern Adventist University. Me and Ryan, part of the graduating class of 2016 from the School of Theology, and um, I'm 20 years old. I'm living and working currently in Dallas, working in a church school that is located in the middle of uptown Dallas, working as a Bible teacher, and then also working at the church next door as the associate pastor. And it's really exciting, and I'm really glad to be here. I'm really glad to be part of this because this is something I know you've been kind of stewing over and wanting to work on now. So I'm really glad to be part of this as your first guest. Yeah, man. No, I'm excited that you're on. Thanks for thanks for joining. And, you know, it's been really cool to watch you kind of step into the roles that you've been called into. And so I'm just really glad to be able to have this conversation with you. Uh, but before we jump into what we're actually going to talk about, uh, just tell us a bit about your exposure to racism growing up and in your life. Because I know you come from a very specific and kind of unique area. Um, and so I, I want to hear a little bit about that and the perspective that you're bringing to the table. Well, my experience with racism slash um, like social injustices or all those issues, whatever you want to label them as, it was very much a thing where everyone kind of acted the same way, regardless of whether it was right or wrong. So I just grew up with everyone in my region. But before I go any further, was the Rio Grande Valley, which is the location along the Mexican border in South Texas, about three and a half hours south of San Antonio. And um, there is definitely a culture that is pervasive in the area is an area that's predominantly Mexican. And it was one of those things where I moved there and I grew up into that culture and I was an outsider. I didn't really speak Spanish. I didn't look like most of the people. I didn't talk like the people. But I grew up thinking that, okay, it's normal to do certain things and it's normal to not do certain things. So for instance, it's normal to never back down from someone who challenges you publicly. It's normal to, um, to equate confidence with, I guess, being crude or being brash or being disrespectful. I grew up with that sort of thing being the norm. And I grew up with this concept of the normal thing to do is that if you are someone who is an outsider, you should expect to be pushed back. You should expect to be discouraged from trying to come into the circle you should be discouraged from from I guess joining the cool crew it was it was one of those things where like I grew up in an area where since everyone is a certain ethnicity 
when people would come in who were minorities or who were who were different, it became normal to say like, oh, well, we're, we're just not going to really pay attention to them. We're going to kind of keep them at arm's length. We're going to try to push them away because they don't belong here. And at first, I was the one being pushed away. I was the one being told that you don't belong. And then I got older and I grew up and I got to know all my classmates and all. And then I became one of the people who, when new people would come, I, I would tend to be a little more like, let them prove themselves to me first. Let them prove that they're worth my time. And then I'll be interested in talking to them. And if they don't prove that they're worth my time, then well, that tough, tough luck for them. Hmm. And so uh, what, so you grew up in a, in a heavily Hispanic, a heavily uh, Mexican area. And, and I know that you've told me like, you don't think that, that the entire area that you grew up in treated people like that or acted like that. It was just the, the circle that you were specifically involved in of people. Oh yeah. No, there's, I mean, I have to say like the Rio Grande Valley is my home. That is always going to be my home. And the nicest people that I've ever met and don't take this the wrong way, Ryan. But the nicest people I've ever met <laughs> All right, from the Rio Grande Valley. So I'm sorry you are not the nicest person I've ever met. But the truth is that there were, for as many people that I met who were, um, who were kind and loving and who made me feel like I was a member of their family, even if I had just known them for a short amount of time, for just, there were just as many people who were the complete opposite of that. There were people who were kind and loving and who made me feel like the most special person every time I interacted with them. And then there were people who made me feel like a stranger and made me feel like an outcast in my own, like, like I, I could be like a mile from my house and these people would be talking to me as if like I didn't belong anywhere near this like area at all. They'd be like, oh, you're like, you don't belong here. You're not like, you're not from here. You shouldn't be here. You should go back to where you came from. And to me, it was very confusing because it was like, I grew up here. Like, this is where I'm from. Where do you, where do you want me to go? Like, I can't leave here. Yeah, and, and so, it was just this thing of like, it doesn't matter if you were born here and if you grew up here, you don't look like us, you don't talk like us, therefore you are not one of us. So just go, go away, go somewhere else. We don't want you. Yeah, and, and just for a listener's sake, because uh, I know this, I, I see you all the time, but um, what, what is your ethnicity specifically? What, what's your background culturally? Well, the thing is that, like I said, it's a predominantly Mexican area, but I'm Indian. So I am brown. So I guess you could say that oh, well, then you might sort of blend in. No, the truth is that I don't look anything like a Mexican. I don't look anything like a Hispanic. I don't, I don't speak Spanish. I don't have the best, like I did try to learn. I didn't learn it that well though. So I didn't look like a Mexican. I didn't talk like a Mexican. So to about 75% of the population, I was, I was, I guess you would say like an outsider. Like, cause yeah. when an area is so predominantly Spanish speaking, so predominantly Hispanic, for someone like me as an Indian, which is so far removed from that, it was it was very tricky trying to relate. Yeah, and that's not uh, that's not to say anything was bad about you or bad about them. It's just that's kind of what happens when you're immersed into a culture that is not necessarily your own. And kids already, when you're growing up, you tend to be really territorial with friends and, and social groups, and so that was kind of amplified, right? Um, and oh I, yeah, yeah. I think that kind that of that whole territory. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, no, that's fine. Uh, I think that it just adds on to that kind of implied expectation because you grew up in an area where, where you were socially expected to act a certain way towards individuals, whether publicly challenged, whether women, whether people of color, or just people who were outsiders, people, new people, whatever, you were expected to act a certain way. And so you weren't necessarily knowledgeable to the fact that it was wrong or right. You just, that's all you knew. And so as you grew up, then yeah. you started to see that there was a different way to live, right? Yeah, and that's the thing is because 
like I grew I grew up with that and I, I guess I should be I should be a little clearer as I explain this the next part. I grew up seeing people act this way and having people act that way towards me. But I mean when you put someone in a new environment, you have to adapt if you want to ever like fit in. So what I found myself doing as I got older was I found myself doing these things that I at first when I first came, I saw other people doing them and then I saw them doing them to me. Now as I got older, now I'm doing these same things. Because it's like, okay, I've been here long enough that now I know it's not about being Mexican. And now I know it's not about being Hispanic. I know it's not about speaking Spanish. It's about the way that I act. It's about acting like them. It's about acting the way that the people here act. It's not about your ethnicity at that point. It's more about your attitude. And the attitude that I developed was one of very, um, it, was very it was very arrogant. I was very bold. I was very brash. I was very loud. It was very... Um, what shall I say? Very rude. It was something where, like, oh, if someone says something to me in public, I have to say something back. I can't just let them say something and then walk away. I have to get another word in. If someone tells me, oh, like, what does it mean to be confident? And my response would say would be something about like, oh, don't take anything from anyone. Like, always be, always be right. Always be loud. Always be the one on top. And it's just that wasn't. Like when I first moved there, I thought like, oh, this is this is a race thing. This is the way that people of different ethnicities act. And I got older, and I realized like, I'm acting just like just like everyone here. And I realized it's not necessarily a race thing. It's not necessarily a culture thing. It becomes more of an attitude thing. Mm -hmm. And by becoming immersed in in the culture, I ended up acting a certain way. And that happens. I mean, you, you get involved with a group of friends, you start laughing like them, you start talking like them and you take on the kind of those social traits and that just happens. And it's not a full reflection of the society at large. It's just like, Hey, I was in this specific environment and this is what this specific environment did to me. So, you know, I, I appreciate your perspective and, and kind of the, what you're bringing to the table here, because I think it does lead into this next part because there is that transition where you recognize something was bad the way it was before. Right. And so now you need to change it or now you need to live differently. And so you've come on today to talk to me about apathy in response to social justice issues, in, in response to racism and, and the things we see on social media and, and otherwise. And I think that plays into it because if you're going to change something, you have to care about it. Right. If there's a problem, you admit it and you have to change the way that you're acting. And so can you tell me a little bit about what reasons you think that apathy is an issue in the ways that you've seen it around you? Well, I mean, starting from, from where I lived and then coming to here where I live now, like in the Rio Grande Valley, because there's, there's three main areas that I spent my life in. There's the Rio Grande Valley, Southern Adventist University with you and me, and then here now in Dallas. And the one thing that I saw in all three places is, is apathy. Because, for example, like when I lived in the Rio Grande Valley and there was this cultural thing in that region of like, oh, people are very bold, people are very rude, people are very like confrontational, people don't want to take it. If someone comes and like disrespects you, you don't turn the other cheek. You don't, you don't be the bigger man and walk away. And yeah, all of that stuff happened. And if people ever stopped, and, and this is my thing, because there were many times where I would stop and think, like, man, this is wrong. Like, I'm being very rude. I'm being very disrespectful. Like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't do this. But that thought would never last very long because I would think that. And then the very next time I had a chance to do something differently, I wouldn't do it because I didn't care enough to do something differently. And then it just kind of, it was just kind of like a little cycle that would repeat. Be like, I would think about it and then I wouldn't act on it. And then a, time, a couple, couple instances would pass where I didn't act on it. And then I would start thinking about it again. 
but I would still never act on it because I didn't care. I didn't care enough. I cared enough to think about it, but not enough to do anything about it. Then you go to a place like Southern where there's race issues. I mean, this uh, huge issue was it almost seven months ago, eight months ago when a speaker came and yeah. said something and was talking and this is an African-American man speaking and people are getting on social media and making all kinds of ridiculous, rude, horrible remarks harkening back to the days of slavery and all these things. And it happens and everyone is up in arms. Everyone is very angry. And then maybe a month later, everyone has forgotten that it exists. Everyone forgot that it, everyone was like, okay, like, okay, this happened, whatever. And it's kind of like, well, where did, where did the issue go? Is the issue still there? And the answer would be yes, because nothing was ever done. Like everyone just yeah. got really mad about it, but then nothing ever actually happened to say, okay, this is obviously an attitude that we as a student body have. This is obviously uh, uh, sad to say it, but obviously our university is currently a place where people who think like this and talk like this are allowed to spread their ideas and no one will do anything about it. Yeah. So what are we going to do to change that? And then that question was never answered because a month later, yeah. nothing was done. It, everyone had forgotten that it happened. The initial anger subsided and we all just moved on as if we had solved the problem when in reality, we just didn't really care enough to actually solve the problem. Again, we cared enough to think about, hey, we should solve this problem. Then we didn't care enough to actually do anything about it. And then here living in Dallas, I moved here a month after, or not even a month, like a week. Because the, okay, there was a shooting here at a Black Lives Matter protest, I think like the second week of July. And I moved here a couple, like a couple days later. And it's one of those things where I live here now and I, I look around and it's like, okay, does, does anything look different? Like, are people more respectful? Are people less respectful? In my experience, there's no real difference here from, like, from my time at Southern. Southern, a place that you and I both know is very racially charged. I live here and things are no different. People respect each other no more or no less than they did before the horrible events that occurred here about a month and a half ago. And it just makes you wonder, like, what is it that really needs to happen for us to do more than just talk about solving the problem what is it that really needs to happen yeah. for us to go beyond just saying wow this is really bad we should do something about it what needs to take place for us to move past that yeah and and especially going back to that southern thing there was a lot of talk and there was a lot of posting and there was a lot of conversations happening around it and i will say that a lot of those conversations helped me to get to the point that i'm at now and so there was definitely some good and i don't think you're saying there wasn't but really i mean we had a week after that we had spring break so once we got through spring break, everyone came back and it was kind of in the back of our minds. And so everyone was really passionate about it. It was the hot button topic for a week. And then we kind of moved on. And there are still people that are passionate about it. And there are still people that are, that are yelling about it. And, and it's, racism is still an issue. It's not like it just went away. It just didn't become as loud anymore because it's hard to keep talking about something that's painful and something that, that a lot of people have very strong feelings about. And there's they're not wrong for having those feelings necessarily i don't think that's the case at all but it's it's hard to keep feeling like it is and especially when you're bombarded with just so many different things to feel about right and yeah and that can be really difficult and so i i think that's one issue but but what do you think causes apathy a lot of the time in response to these issues where we just kind of stop talking about them or we just kind of move on with our lives well, I think you touched on it a little bit there because you said like it's hard to keep 
being passionate when it's painful. And I think the thing is that, especially in today's culture, like, because you and I, like, both, neither of us is, like, both of our parents are from minorities. Like, you're half Cuban? Yes, I'm half Cuban. You, you, you remind, like, you've reminded me of this many times. So, yeah, you have, you have Cuban blood. I'm, I'm full Indian. Like, neither of our parents are full, like, Caucasian or whatever, like, whatever majority race you want to pick. But the point is that neither of us, personally, had to ever, like, fight for our rights as minorities or whatever. Like, we, we went to a nice private university. We were very, very lucky. We got jobs right out of college, and we're living and working on our own. We're living the American dream. We're doing just fine. But the thing is that I personally, in my own experience, it's been very easy to get so focused on, like, I've had it good. I've had it easy. Like, overall, my life has been very easy, and I've never really been able to say, oh, this opportunity was denied me because of my ethnicity or because of the ethnicities of the people around me or something like that. Like, I've never had an opportunity to say that. But it's so much easier for me to focus on that fact instead of the fact that, hey, for many other people, that is not the case. It's so much easier to fo- for me to focus on, hey, my life is good. Mm-hmm. It's much less painful. It's the path of the least resistance. It's much easier for me to say, that's not my experience. It's easier for me to think about that than for me to think about, hey, for every one person who's like me, there are maybe just, in the, just as many people who are having the opposite experience. But that's harder to think about because it's painful. It's you have to like think about it more beyond of like, okay, well, what's just happening in my sphere? I have to put myself in their shoes. That's more difficult. That requires more energy. So and people just don't want to do it. People are just lazy to do it because why focus on that when I could just focus on, hey, my life is good. Yeah. And it's uncomfortable. Like straight up. It's a, these issues are really uncomfortable to talk about. They're uncomfortable to to speak on. I know that whenever I make a comment, I'm constantly checking my feed to be like, all right, who disagrees with me and who's angry with me? And, you know, it, it's, it's uncomfortable. It really is to put yourself out there and to really start talking about this stuff with people. And, and it is, it's easy to just kind of cast it aside and focus on you. And there, and let's be real. Like it's, even if your life may be good, there are still issues going on. There's still health issues. There's still personal issues. There's finance issues. And so part of it is as well, like, Hey, I've got all these things on my plate, so I'm not going to I don't have the energy or the time to worry about something that's not on my plate. Right. And and, yeah. And and, that's the other thing. No, no, it it just, it, it, it makes that harder because you see what's in front of your life. And it's hard to see what's in front of someone else's. Yeah. And I think, I think there's, a, there's a lot of instances of the social rights movements noticing that. And I think the most memorable one is, uh, I'm trying to remember, I can't remember like the specifics. And this is awkward because if I'm going to talk about it, I should be able to give the specifics. So I'm just going to be vague. And for those of you who wish to look up what I'm talking about after, you could find it because it was a big deal when it happened i remember the specific event that triggered it there was some some event where there was like a vigil being held i think it was maybe it was the orlando nightclub shooting that's what i want to think it was i think it might have been orlando nightclub shooting i may be wrong but the point is that it was not the death of a black man or woman it was not but a black lives matter protester got up at this uh, this gathering which was not for the life of a black person. But they got up and they started talking about the Black Lives Matter movement. And you see, this was a, it was a good example of what you're talking about, where everyone was gathered to deal with one problem, but then someone came and was like, hey, while you guys are dealing with this problem, here's this other problem. Here's the problem of 
like racism. Here's the problem with social injustice. How come nobody's gathering for this? How come nobody wants to talk about this? And yes, if you go and you look up the video, the person may not have done it in the right way. They may have been rude, whatever. And they were not well received at all. But my question is, in that scenario, like, would that person ever have been well received to come and say, hey, you're all dealing with this, these problems that you have on your plate. Here's this other huge problem that tons of people are dealing with. When are you going to do something about it? Hmm. And a lot of people don't like that. I don't know. I'm not going to say whether or not it's right or wrong to, to do that, to confront people about like, hey, you have all these problems on your plate, but you don't care about these other problems that other people have. I'm not, I'm not sure how I feel if that's right or wrong, but the truth is that it makes people very uncomfortable when you point that out. Well, and there's, there's a difference, I think, between saying, hey, we all have struggles and, and this is a time for us to support each other rather than to say, hey, you're hurting, now look at me and see all the pain that I've been going through. And, and I think that second, the latter part of that was the attitude that people seemed to sense from that, that woman who, who spoke. Uh, and, and that's why they hated it because it was like, this isn't about your issue. This is about real people um, who are hurting right this second. And we're all hurting as a community. And so there's sensitivity and there's empathy that needs to be expressed. It's not that her issue wasn't also about real people. It's not that her issue wasn't just as real as the other. It's just, you know, hey, someone has uh, someone has a friend that died. Okay, cool. I'm probably going to wait a week or two before I bring something else up because they need time to mourn and recover and deal with it. And, yeah. And, and so there, there is something, I think, uh, there's a lot, honestly, to be said about being sensitive to someone's current experience and to the issues that they're dealing with. Yeah. And I think, I think there is room for that. But I think that honestly, given the way that things have been going at some point, I think we need to realize that for some of us, for me, especially, this is me speaking for myself. I think I've run out of chances to use that excuse because I, I can say that like, Oh, I'll, I'll deal with, I'll talk about this when it's, when I'm not going to like stir up trouble or oh, I'm going to talk about this when it's not going to like, just be like, I don't know, doing more harm than good. But the problem is that for me personally, I've spent the last couple years of my life feeling that way and thinking that way. And I've watched as people around me have had these conversations and people around me have dealt with these issues. And I personally have never done anything about it. And I'm here now and I'm because now I'm not a student at a university surrounded by people. I'm one, I'm one man living in an apartment. I'm alone. I go to work every day. Like I am all in, in this sense of like, I am all that I have. I can't turn to other people and be like, well, are you going to do something about this problem? Mm -hmm. Are you going to do something about this problem? No, there's no more. Like I'm going to wait for someone else to do it. Like it's at this point, if someone's going to do something, it has to be me. Yeah. And that's, uh, there's a, there, I forget what the phenomenon is called, but like when there's an emergency, if you just yell out, will someone call 911? Chances are someone won't. But if you say, Hey, you in the gray shirt, you go do this, then it makes it personal. And, and it's that thing where when you're in a crowd, you always think that someone else is going to step up and do something. But it, but if everyone thinks that, then no one will step up and do it. And so no one does it. Yeah. When that crowd is removed, there's only you. Doesn't matter how general it is, no matter how general the request is, there's only you at that point that can respond. And your yeah. voice gets to join in with thousands and, and, and millions of other voices that, that are speaking on these issues and talking about these issues. Uh, and you get to become a part of something bigger, but you actually have to take that action and start caring. Right. Exactly. Um, so, how do how do you and I how do we avoid being 
uh, apathetic when it comes to social justice? How do we avoid falling into that pitfall? And yeah, so let's just jump into that one. Well, I think personally for me, the big thing that I've been trying to do, because like I said, I'm at the point where I'm realizing there's no one left for me to, to wait on to say like, oh, they'll deal with it. Oh, they'll do something about it. Now it's as me, I have to do it. So the thing that I've been really trying to do more of is I guess a lot of like introspection and actually think to myself like, okay, like, do I have racist tendencies? And the answer has been overwhelmingly, yes, I do. And that's been something that I've known for quite some time. Because like I said, growing up, I would think these things to myself and I'd be like, hey, this is wrong. Like, I shouldn't be doing this. Never cared enough to do anything about it. But now I'm coming back around and I'm looking at these things and I'm saying, okay, why is it that I'm more willing to trust someone whose skin is a certain color Mm -hmm. than someone else whose skin is a different color? Like, why is that the case? Why is it that if I have two people who are both the same in personality type and whatever, but just one of them happens to have a different skin color than the other, why is it that I'm 10 times out of 10 choosing to talk to the person based on the color of their skin? Why is that the case? And then once I'm once I'm realizing why that's the case, the thing that I've been trying to do more of is when I find myself in that situation, step one being, okay, remember, like, I need to acknowledge, like, hey, this is something that is happening. Like, hey, mm-hmm. I am in a position where normally I would choose to do something based on the color of the person's skin. And then two, I'm going to say, okay, this is what I would normally choose. I'm going to actively choose to do the opposite. Mm-hmm. Because... Now that I know that this is happening, now that I know that this is the way that I'm thinking, this is the way that I'm making those choices, I need to start actively choosing to do the opposite. Yeah, and and you know, it it goes even I think it goes even more subtle and subconscious than even the why do I go talk to this person ten out of ten times? It's hey, why did my heart rate jump when that person of color walked in, but not when the white person walked in? Or why did I turn away when this person walked in? Or um, why did I say hi to this person and not this person? You know, there are there there are subtle behavioral things that we may notice. Why did I hesitate to shake this guy's hand instead of this guy's? Or, you know, it, it, and it's those subtle things that we have to be alert to. And and yeah, it's it's something that like sometimes people will pretend like, oh, no one knows that I'm feeling this way. No one notices that I'm doing this, so it's it's not a it's not an issue. And the truth is that no, that's not the case because those little things that only you notice that only you think about those become larger issues. Those small yeah. things that maybe no one else sees, those drive behaviors that end up shaping the way that you act and the way that you present yourself to the world. Yeah, and, and, and I think, and this is something that I've, I've found interesting throughout my life because it relates to Christianity a lot in that I've, all, I've always been told Christianity is the easy way out. You know, you're choosing the, the way that gives you hope and, and you're trying to believe in something better. And it's just easier to live as if you're, you know, when you die, something else happens and all this stuff. And, and my response to that is, is Christianity really easier? Because what Christianity calls you to do is, A, look at yourself every day and say, what am I doing wrong? And how can I be more transformed by the love of Jesus Christ? And how can I, um, how can I live more rightly and be more righteous because of what God has done. You know, what are the things in my life that I need to change? And you're constantly called to do that in an accountable sense. So it's not a moment of like, you're just responsible for it yourself, but you're also responsible to another being, which is God and to anyone else that you've invited along that walk with you. And so there's an area of accountability in Christianity that I don't think is present in general, um, unless someone just makes it on their own. And, 
Um, but it calls us to be more aware of those things, the ways that we're treating people. It calls us to stand up for the poor. I've mentioned this in, in my first episode. I'll mention it again. Over 2,100 verses in Scripture calling us to stand up for the poor, the oppressed, the widow, the orphan. You know, you, we can't just ignore that. And there's verses, there's verses in Galatians 6 where Paul talks about, yeah, each man has to carry his own burden, but each man should also help his brother carry their burden. And, and the Greek is, you know, each man should carry his own weight as in like his own backpack. But yeah. the second part of that is each man should carry, uh, or help his brother carry a weight, and the weight is something bigger than what one man can carry. And so we're called to be our brother's keeper. We're called to love our neighbor, and we're called to step out and do these things. And so Christianity calls us to be more socially responsible and care more about some of these issues where otherwise we would just say, I've got my own life to worry about. Yeah, and it's actually it's interesting because I remember – I remember listening to your first broadcast. I'm your biggest fan. Oh. But I remember <laughs> listening to your first broadcast and you made that point and I was blown away. I was like, wow, that's such a huge discrepancy. But it, it's, I don't know. I guess it just didn't click. It didn't click with me that like, hey, if there's that many verses talking about it, then there must be verses in the Old Testament as well. But when I first heard that, I was like, yeah, like they say that in the New Testament, like it's a very New Testament thing and so on and so forth. But no, that's in both Testaments and it's, it's very everywhere. clear. Like I... um. I'm reading the book of Job with my girlfriend and we were going through it and we read and we got to, um, we're, got, we're getting to the point where Job is kind of defending himself. And if, if you know the story of Job, then it may seem arrogant to say like, oh, Job is saying how righteous he is. But th- I mean, he's doing it in response to people who are saying like, oh, all this bad stuff is happening to you because you're a bad person. Yeah. And Job is saying like, no, I'm not a bad person. But then all of the reasons that Job has for like, this is why I'm not a bad person. You say I'm a bad person, but I do all of these things. And then all the things that he's saying are about his interactions with other people. It's like, oh, I help, I help widows. I help poor people. Job's descriptions of his righteousness are always centered around the way that he treats other people, specifically people who are less privileged than he is. Hmm. He is this super rich man who... righteous man he says yes not because i give out of my vast riches is no i i am a righteous man because i do good things for people who do not have good things Hmm. yeah and And it's just like even from back then from so far before galatians and paul and james because you look at james you look at his definition of righteousness his definition of righteousness is very centered around the way that you treat other people but then you go all the way back to the book of Job. And it's the same thing there. It's always been. This is the way it's always been. People who are considered righteous by God are people who treat others with the respect that they deserve. And the people who the people who are willing to go that extra mile to carry the other person's backpack. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like now, because of the apathy in our society today, it seems like that aspect of Christianity has just been completely done away with because it's so so neglected you look at you look at the way the average person acts in this regard and then you look at the way the average christian acts in this regard and it's like is there a difference between the way that we as christians view these racial and social issues and the way that the average person on the street does and more often than not the answer is no we as christians are usually no more eager to step up and say something or step up and make a difference than the average person on the street and we should be right, and and, and we should, and, we should yeah, be, and that's the be. point. And 
and I want to say, like, it's hard. And I'm not saying, like, that's the excuse. I'm like, oh, it's just hard. I don't want to. No, like, it's hard. Like, can we just, like, can we be real about that? It's hard to care. It's it's incredibly difficult to cry with someone for a long time. Paul, uh, Job's friends, they were doing great for a week. They were seven days and seven nights sitting with him without saying a word. And it's when they opened their big mouths that everything started to be an issue. But just feeling with him, they got tired of that after a week, you know, and that, and he's their close friend. There, I've had yeah. friends who have dealt with diseases and illnesses that were severely debilitating and people that have become handicapped. And, and all of them say like, yeah, for the first few months, everyone was super with me and super supportive. And then all of a sudden, everyone just kind of disappeared. And I was left with two or three people that care outside. And outside of that, everyone just kind of left me in the dust because I became a burden when if we'd go to a theme park or if we went to the movies and can't use the stairs to get up to our seats. And, you know, and it became like this issue where it's hard to care for something or someone for a long time when it's something outside of yourself. And it's just naturally self-centered. It's naturally, I have it, you have it. It's not, I'm not trying to demonize anyone with that kind of accusation. It's just like, that's the reality we're in. No. And that's something that I've definitely, and I get, I keep talking about it. Like, like, Oh, like moving out and living on your own is such a huge thing. I mean, you just did it. I just did it. But the truth is that like, for me, it's it's hitting me now like like wow like i'm i'm here i'm by myself like i have mm-hmm. to do everything for myself and i mean so many people throughout the history of the earth have dealt with this but the thing is that the big thing for me now is that i've been noticing like okay if i'm going to be here and all the people that i connected with in university are all spread out all over the place it's completely 100% up to me if those relationships are going to survive and it's hard, it's hard to go outside of myself and be like, Hey, I know I just had a, a long day at work. Hey, I know I still have a lot to do from work. Hey, I know that I have to cook. Hey, I know that I have to do all these things. Hey, I know that I'm really tired, but if I want to put in the time for that relationship to keep it going, I have to, on top of everything I'm already doing, I have to make more time for that. And that's yeah. hard. And that's for my friends, let alone <laughs> for like, social and racial issues and dealing with the needs of people who I don't even know. Yeah. And okay. So, so let's talk about that because there's so many different issues. There's LGBTQ uh, plus, and there's, there's uh, black lives matter. And there's all of these different issues. There's human slavery. Sex trafficking is at an all time high throughout history. I mean, there is, and, and so is slavery just in general in the world. There's all these different social justice issues that, that we're told to be passionate about, right? And so how, obviously I can't be hyper-passionate about every single one of those. Like I can't just give my life to every single one of those causes. And so how do you think – what would you say to someone who says like, hey, what cause should I get involved in? How can I well, – I want to throw myself into something. What are, what are some practical things that you would tell them? Well – I guess it'd be hard because I'm still learning as we're going. So what I've been doing and what I would tell people to do is I would say, well, just do this. Like whatever, whatever prejudices that you find within yourself, whatever, um, whatever specific, like, let's say you're like me and you're very prejudiced and there are prejudices against all kinds of, cause they're like, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be open. And I'm going to be honest. Like I struggle, I, I struggle to, to treat people of different, of different different races or different sexual orientations than me, I struggle to treat them the same as someone who's just like me. I struggle with that. It's not like, oh, there's only one prejudice that I have. No, I have a 
a vast plethora mm -hmm. of prejudices that I hold and I'm struggling to deal with any one of them at a time, let alone all of them. So my thing is just this. It's, it's not something that I can do on my own. So it's a very, it's very much a, a thing where you have to bring it to God and you have to say, look, I have this problem. Like I don't treat people who are different from me the way that I should. So at, at first, like if, if you're just starting and you have, you have no, like you've never actually thought about it, you've never actually actively said, okay, I'm going to start trying to do things differently. At first, what I would say would be figure out where it is that these prejudices are. Like, let's say you're someone who, for example, you are a straight individual and you have absolutely no problem with people who are bisexual, homosexual, pansexual, asexual. You have no problem with interacting with those people. You treat them exactly the same as you do all of your straight friends. If that's the case, then great. Maybe don't go get involved in like gay pride movements and all those. Like maybe you don't, maybe that's not something you need to worry about because you already, you already feel like you're already a supporter of equal rights for people who have different styles of sexuality. Like that's, that's maybe that's not something where you need to spend your time. But if you're someone who's more prejudiced in an area of like, okay, like I struggle with treating people who are a different race than me, treating them the same. It's like, well, then maybe you should look into that. In other words, and this, again, this is hard. And this is why it's hard. Go to the area where you are most prejudiced. So for me, the area that I'm most prejudiced is definitely race. I struggle the most with treating people of different races the same as I do. So for me, and again, for the sake of being, for the sake of being open, my big struggle growing up in a mostly Hispanic area was treating people who were not Hispanic with the same respect that I treated Hispanics. So I instinctively, I tend to treat Hispanics better than everybody else. Hmm. And that's something that I've struggled with. Yeah. So now it's like, okay, when I find myself in a situation where it's like, Hey, here is someone who is Caucasian and here is someone who is Hispanic. I need to actively tell myself like, no, you went and you talked to the Hispanic guy and you talked to him for like a good three or four minutes. Don't just go talk to the Caucasian man and just be like, Hey, happy Sabbath. And don't, and that's it. Don't do that. Go shake his hand, go look him in the eye, go smile, go give him the respect that he deserves. He doesn't deserve any less or more of your time. He deserves the exact same respect as the other guy. Yeah, I think I, – and I appreciate that advice. I think that's really good to to go to the area where you have problems and, and, and force yourself to interact with it more, right? And I think at the same level, there's if you already are good with this specific area, maybe that is the area because there's something to be said about focusing the areas where your strengths are, right? And so yeah, and that's, maybe, that's a good point. Yeah, maybe there's someone so, – so don't be discouraged if you're like, well, I'm passionate about LGBTQ rights, but I'm also good about it. Okay, cool. There's nothing wrong with that, right? You found something that you're passionate about, and I think just my advice would be find what bothers you. Like, what do you read on Facebook or what do you read on the internet or, or what experiences are you seeing that bothers you? Orlando nightclub, Pulse nightclub shooting bothered me. Like, it bothered me. And seeing friends and seeing others uh, directly affected by it, like, that bothered me. Um, and so I realized, like, hey, I need to speak out a bit more on this issue and, and, and love those people better. And those people being just anyone in that group and anyone who is struggling. I'm not saying they're different than me. They may just think or be attracted differently. That doesn't mean necessarily they're different than me. But I need to love that group better. And so, yeah, so I think yeah, finding the area that you're, you have problems in and also finding the area that you have strengths in. No, sorry. I'm, I keep um, the, I'm no, I'm just – it's funny. Like, quick aside. I'm noticing why it is that the call is breaking up. Because I live like directly under the, the flight path for all outgoing planes from Dallas Love Field Airport. 
and being in this call with you has helped me determine that if a plane flies over, I can't hear anything. Oh, nice. <laughs> Uh, okay, so everyone, that explains any audio problems that we've been having uh, this episode, and I'm terribly sorry. There's only so many options for doing Skype interviews or doing interviews for podcasts, so, oh, well, you know, thanks for sticking no, with us. It was funny because you were talking, and I was like, man, he looks really excited, but I don't know what he's saying because all I hear is the of the plane. Okay, so, so anyway, up for no, you're, you, you're yeah. right. You're right. Yeah, just to, to find something that you're passionate about, um, what bothers you, and also uh, what are areas that either you need to work on or areas that you're already strong in that you can help others work on. I think those are three practical questions and in, in areas of your life that you can look at to, to find a way to be passionate about a, a cause or some issue that, that maybe you need to talk a bit, a bit more about. So, And I think, I think what you just said there is a very important thing, find what bothers you. Because that's the whole point of what we're talking about from the very beginning. What was I saying? This whole concept of of something is something is wrong, and you know it's wrong, and you think to yourself, "Hey, this is wrong," but you never care enough to go beyond that. That's the that's the problem right there. Like you're doing like I, I'm doing fine up until that point where I'm thinking that something is wrong, and then that's all I do. Like I think that we as a church and we as a society at large. And I mean, above all else, we as individuals need to go and not look at other people and tell them to do it, but we need to look at ourselves and we need to say, hey, next time I find myself thinking that, hey, that's wrong. Something should be done about that. Next time I find myself thinking that way, I shouldn't just stop there. I should say, okay, well, I think this is wrong. I think something should be done about it. What can I, in my current situation, do about this issue? Because I personally feel like we tend to get stuck in that headspace where we just think about how it's wrong and we think about why it's wrong and we think about why the people who are doing it are in the wrong and then we never actually move out of that. So yeah, going to that to that area, whatever that area is for you, whatever that area is for me, if I can go to that area and I can say, okay, it's not enough to think about it. So let's think about it and then let's think about what to do yeah. and then and let's so, do it. You know, if I could sum up this episode in, in four words easily, I would say let yourself be bothered. Just let yeah. yourself be bothered. And I think that – and you have to identify those moments. So you're scrolling through Facebook. You see another police uh, brutality video, right? You scroll past it. Scroll back up and watch it. Expose – like like I'm not saying like watch something that's going to give you nightmares. But I'm saying interact with the things that you're afraid to interact with or that you don't want to because they're unpleasant or uncomfortable. Let yourself be bothered because these things bother us. They should because they're not right. And they need to be fixed. And the only way they get fixed is if people like you and people like me, we step up and we start treating people differently. We start looking at the ways that we can do that. And we become passionate about helping others, loving our neighbor, and carrying one another's burdens. And I mean, I, I know I spoke earlier. I can't remember if it was – I can't remember if it was this first take or, take or that, Yeah, last take. I, I, <laughs> I can't remember if it was this take or not. But um, I spoke earlier about how here in Dallas, it seemed as if the only lasting impact of the shooting here was the, the placement of some signs around the city that say you need to thank a cop. But it's funny that I would make fun of that and I, or I would say that that's, not, that that's not enough because the truth is that if someone is bothered by what occurred here in Dallas and then they see that sign saying I thank a cop, well, then go do that. Like go, go yeah. to a police officer and be like, hey, I know that this is random. I know you have no idea who I am. That's fine. But I know that you are a 
servant of the law, working as a police officer here in Dallas. I just wanted to say thank you for what you're doing. There have been, and there have been lots of people who have done that in Dallas and Cleveland and all these other cities. People have done that everywhere. And those people who did that made a huge difference mm-hmm. yeah. because they were bothered by what happened. They, they saw what happened and they heard about it. They read about it and they were like, this isn't right. So they got out of their houses and they went to where the police officers were and they were like, hey, I just want you to know I really appreciate what you're doing. Yeah. And it made a huge difference because these people – these it wasn't a lot of people it was it was a very small number of people but that small number of people they let themselves be bothered and because they did that they made a huge difference and i would say to any pastors uh youth leaders otherwise uh if you have a church that and you have some people in in your congregations that have been dealing with this issue or some of these issues uh host some dialogues uh, and just let people talk about some of this stuff and how it's affected them. And you have the chance to be the moderator prayerfully with these conversations and keeping them spiritual and keeping them peaceful. Um, but I think we need to be, as a church, talking about these a little bit more as well. And so if you are a pastor, definitely start hosting some of those conversations. Maybe as your church, host a breakfast or a lunch for uh, volunteers in in. Uh, the community or host a lunch for law enforcement or whatever and do some things to intentionally connect with people and let them know that they're appreciated. Same with anyone who is in a Black Lives Matter movement. Hey, if you hear of a protest going on, maybe you guys get some breakfast stuff together and offer them some protesters some food Um, and and find the ways that you can take what bothers you and turn it into action. So, And I think think there's a fear uh, and I mean... I sound very idealistic when I say this because I'm I'm not a head pastor or, and I like oh you don't understand the ramifications but just this is this is how I feel and I, I honestly feel like there is there is this perception this fear that oh if we as a church if we speak out on these um on these issues that we're taking aside and we're being political and it's like no you can speak out about these issues without being political because in the end whether it's the Black Lives Matter movement or the police. Because like, there are some people within the Black Lives Matter movement who are not only championing the value of the lives of black people, they are also ridiculing and being angry and hateful towards those who are showing support and appreciation for the police, for yeah. example. So it's kind of like, oh, you can't help them, you have to help us. That's mm-hmm. not the case for the church. We, as a church, should more than anyone else, we should look at the two sides of these issues, whether it's homosexuality versus heterosexuality, or whether it's like the police violence versus the lives of African Americans. We should be able to look and say, whether you are on one side of the debate or another, you are a human. Mm -hmm. You are loved by God, you are part of his creation, and yeah, you matter, right? Your voice matters and, and who you are matters. You know, I yeah, think. so you can say what you want about a debate or say what you want about a political issue, but at some point you need to realize like we as the church, there are like on this issue, on both sides of the issue, there are people who need to be helped, and currently we're helping nobody. So whether we're helping one side or helping the other, like help yeah. somebody, we're not yeah. helping anyone at all. Yeah, one of my favorite responses was uh, Angel Grasso and and uh, I saw another front, one of my friends, uh, Eddie Cornejo, they went down to Orlando after the Pulse shooting and they did prayer chains with, with uh, people at vigils. And they just let people do write prayers down and they cried with people and they prayed with people and they just connected with people. And there's, there's nothing inherently accusatory there. It's just a matter of, hey, I want to be a part of this with you and empathize with you and mourn with you and grieve with you because someone that was loved was lost and there was pain and there's suffering and we're going to get through this together. And I think the biggest 
damage dealer to the church stepping out on these issues is actually a mistranslated verse. Um, and it's, uh, I think it's First Thessalonians uh, 4.17, where Paul says, you know, avoid the appearance of evil. And the church for literal centuries, that comes, I think, from the King James Version, for literal centuries, we've said, oh, we've got to avoid the appearance of evil. And while the word in the Greek, uh, I think it's akos, um, does sometimes translate to appearance or vision, uh, really in the context of that chapter, he's saying avoid every form of evil in applying it to your life, right? And, and in taking it on yourself. But we've said it, no, we can't even look like we're doing evil. And if that was the case... Jesus would have never been called a glutton or a drunkard because he would have avoided even the appearance of seeing, seeming evil. And so we need to take it on ourselves to say, we've got to interact with some of this stuff. And it doesn't mean we're adopting it for ourselves. If we think that there is some evil, if, you know, there are a lot of churches that are like, I can't even talk to homosexuals or I can't even talk to LGBTQ because they're sinful. No, like just because you're talking with them, even if you think what they're doing is sin, doesn't necessarily mean that you're taking that sin on yourself. Right. And, and exactly. So it's just a matter of connecting with people. And we've let this mistranslation and this this subtle attitude creep in and stop us from getting involved in things. And that that it all it all comes back around because then we say that, no, we shouldn't think that way. No, we shouldn't avoid people who are very obviously, I guess you could say very obviously going against what the church thinks is right. It's hard to do that. And because of the apathy that is in place, people say, no, it's too hard. Like, I'm just going to, like, I could go over there and I could talk to these people and I could befriend this homosexual individual and I could have to deal with, with repercussions in the church and deal with people talking bad about me and I would have to go out of my comfort zone to do that or I could just stay here in the church and not do that and have everyone in the church think that I'm a good person. And it's like, well, because now it's, I feel like, and it's sad because I feel like the perception in the church should be that, hey, you go out of your way to avoid these issues, that's not okay. Yeah. We, pastor, we shouldn't, uh, go ahead, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. We shouldn't, we shouldn't encourage pastors to avoid these issues. Yeah. Nope. I agree. Uh, you know, a pastor of mine, uh, a mentor, a good mentor and a good friend of mine actually said a few years ago, he said, you know, if I'm going to err in anything, if I'm going to make an error, then let it be on the side of loving someone too much. And I think that that's really big. It, you know, maybe they say, oh, well, that's not really loving someone. No, it, it, let me let me love them. And if you have a problem with that in the church, look, Jesus came to save the lost, not to save the people who are already saved. Like, you're already saved. <laughs> I care less about what you think as someone who's already saved than I do about making sure that someone is loved and accepted because they're loved by God and he wants a relationship with them. And I need to be a bridge builder, not a bridge destroyer. So. And it's interesting that you say that because I was, um, I was, reading, a, I was reading a quote earlier and bridges don't get to choose who walks across them. Mm -hmm. Wow, well, there you bridges go. Bridges don't yeah. get to decide. That's not that's not up to us. It's not our call. Like, okay, okay, maybe someone is a different skin color than you. Maybe someone is a different sexual uh, orientation than you. But your like our calling while we're on this earth is to do something to make sure is to to help them come across the bridge and go to Jesus. And I mean, yes, you can make the argument like, oh, like we don't do that. That's the Holy Spirit. I mean, you can get into technicalities all you want. But my point is this. If we start saying as the bridge saying, no, we're not going to talk about that. No, we're not going to address that. No, we're not going to go there. It's like, who are we to say that? Yeah. Uh, and I agree. I think, you know, I'll let I'll let God deal with the consequences with me. That's fine. I'll let that one be between me and God on some of these things. Um, hey, Jerome, thank you so much for 
being on this episode. I, you know, I've really appreciated your insight and the perspectives you bring. And, you know, I do think that an apt summary of this show is, is, you know, let yourself be bothered. If you're in a place of apathy, if you're in a place of like, ah, there's just so much, start letting yourself be bothered by some of this stuff. Take it to God in prayer and, and say, God, give me something to be passionate about. Let me, show me the ways that I'm prejudiced. Show me the ways that I'm hurting people and, and show me the ways to treat them better. Um, so Jerome, thank you so much for a lot of the insight you've brought. Is there anything else that you want to share? Uh, any final thoughts or admonitions and anyone you want to say hi to? I think final, final thoughts. Let me, let me say the serious stuff first and then I'll get to the not so serious stuff. Um, final thoughts. This is hard. This is not something that we're doing. Like, I think, I think this is something that should be made very clear. And while I have the opportunity, I'm going to say it. What, what you're doing, Ryan, is very, um, it's very hard because, how easy would it be? Because I'm sure, I'm sure there are plenty of other things that you could be doing right now that would be lots of fun. There are plenty of other things that you could be focusing on, plenty of other ways you could be spending your time. But instead, you're here in your room recording a Skype call with me <laughs> about racial and social issues. And it's, it's something that it's, it's like, well, well, why would you do that? And at some point, we need to, I think we all need to say, okay, well, there are a lot of things that I could be doing, but this is important. But but what I want to emphasize is that it's hard, and that's why it has to be a, a spirit-driven thing. It has to be a God thing. You have to you have to ask God for the strength because, especially with issues like this, if you don't ask God for the strength, then it's just it's just not going to happen. And that's been what I've been discovering as I've been trying to figure this out too. So that would be my final thought: would be that if you're going to if you're going to let yourself be bothered, you better you better talk to God about how bothered you are. <laughs> because if you don't, then you can be bothered all you want. But if you don't talk to God about it, then nothing will happen. Yep. And, you know, we say all of this, we're still working on this ourselves. We're works in progress, too. So no one think that we're talking down or we're saying, oh, look at how great we are for, for being this far in. That's not the case. We're just, we're on this, we're all running this race together. And Jerome and I both have our, fall, our faults and our flaws. And, and we're working through this just like anyone else. And we could be wrong in some of this. We could be right in some of this. Uh, what matters is that we're trying and we're doing something. And I and I want others to do something as well, and for some of these these issues to be brought into the light, and dealt with with love and with care and with grace and mercy. So, uh, yeah. And real quick, to give a shout out for both of us to the people from Southern people who we know who <laughs> have been supporting this 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 podcast that just started. So shout out to all the the Southern people, all the people who made it through to the very end to cure this shout out. Thank you for supporting me and supporting Ryan. This is just the beginning of something very big, something very good. So hopefully you'll be around for many more episodes. Yep. Um, So yeah, that is the end of episode three. Guys, an absurd apathy. Let yourselves be bothered. Uh, You can find uh, more info about the absurdity. You can find past episodes and new episodes uh, at www.theabsurdity.org. We are also on iTunes. If you just search either my name, Ryan Becker, you can search The Absurdity though there are a lot of podcasts with the word absurdity absurdity in it. Um, But if you search my name, it's easy to find it. Um, But we are also on on iTunes, so you can subscribe there uh, and leave a review. If you like it, if you hate it, that's fine too. Um, But I just hope that this is giving you something to think about, something to chew on uh, as you go about your day. And take care, guys. Thank you so much for listening and for putting up with some Skype issues as well along the way. I really appreciate you. Uh, and I'll be praying for you that, that God would convict you and show you the ways in which you can be helpful and passionate about caring for others and, and doing more to fight for equality and to carry one another's burdens. So take care, everyone. Thanks.